Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now, here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Welcome back to another episode of the BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast. My name is Jeff Tuba, and I want to thank you for tuning in for another episode. Please take time to click the subscribe button to automatically download our episodes, and please rate our podcast as well. We hope you enjoy the content that you can take with you to go. Moderating today's podcast is Dana Zakowski from BDO. Joining her is Mark Bromberg from Apex Restaurant Group who's going to provide his perspective on things happening in the restaurant industry based on various brands that he and his team have been working with. Dana, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Jeff, so much for that great introduction. And today we have Mark Bromberg from Apex Restaurant Group based down in Dallas. And Mark, thanks so much for being here. Pleasure to be here, Dana. So Mark, why don't you give us a little bit about you, your background, what you're what you've been up to, and then we could talk about the state of the economy and the state of the restaurant space and airports and all that other good stuff going on. Yeah, so um, Apex uh, was founded back in 2001. Um, we were the uh, first and still the only um, management company that manages large chains of restaurants uh, under contract. Um, and those are chains that are owned by others. Uh, so we manage restaurant chains from the brand level down, um, meaning that we decide what goes on the plate, uh, what goes in the building, uh, marketing, finance, and uh, everything. So uh, as opposed to being a company that would manage a whole bunch of franchisees, uh, we actually manage large franchisors. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then do you, when you work with these large franchisors, do you help them ever with the franchisees as well? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Most of our clients are uh, lenders or private equity groups uh, or investors. Uh, some of our clients are distressed. Um, some of them just have what we call operational opportunities. Gotcha. So I guess we're all talking now about different companies where a year ago we thought everyone was going to be in a distressed situation at this point. And we're seeing now because of some government funding and some other things some of the ones we thought were going to be distressed are and, and where we didn't think they were might be. What's your thoughts on that kind of stuff, that well, part I, of the economy? I think everybody is distressed. It's just in different areas now that uh, many chains are experiencing distress. Uh, certainly some are uh, gross revenue challenged. Uh, some of them are um, you know, resource challenged, but um, in, in some respects, uh, many chains are doing well, uh, but could be doing better if they had um, more employees to staff their restaurants and they didn't have a disruptive supply chain to have to face down. Uh, but by and large, we're seeing that certainly the demand has recovered. Uh, the problem has been that many chains, whether they're our clients or some of the biggest in the country, are struggling to service that demand. Right. And I think anyone who's turned on the news in any on any channel right now is hearing about the supply chain issues. So the biggest ones facing the restaurant space is coming in the food category. And I know we've spoken about this. What are you seeing in some of the change you work with as far as food and what's happening? And I guess, how are you going to approach those challenges? 
Well, I, I think uh, you know, because of pressures in other parts of the P&L, it's not just as simple as raising prices to cover uh, margin gaps. Um, what we're seeing are people evaluating new types of products that aren't necessarily as scarce, um, moving to uh, St. Louis ribs or side ribs, for instance, instead of baby back ribs. Do you think when you do stuff like that, are they doing a, a marketing push for it or any brand notification, any notifications of it, or they're just doing it and thinking that the consumer might not even realize and not well, in a bad I, way? Just a matter I, Yeah, of that. I think the consumer is much more sophisticated than we've traditionally given them credit. Uh -huh. for. Uh, and I think in this kind of environment where uh, many consumers are suspicious or wary in any event, um, you have to market exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, for years, for instance, sticking with the example that we just used, um, many consumers considered baby back ribs to be the, the premium product that was out there. The reality is that uh, other types of pork rib products taste uh, just as good and can be prepared in almost the same way as baby backs are, just not necessarily as tender. So what we're doing in some of our chains you know, in all respects where we're substituting product uh, is telling people that um, this is a better value um, okay. rather than absorb a price increase and just have everybody get on the uh, menu price staircase uh, that we've switched to this product. Um, and we see it not only in ribs, but we see it in chicken wings. We see it in beef products. We see it in lots of proteins. You know, thus far, about the only commodity that hasn't been um, terribly affected has been produce. And of course, that could change in a second, depending on weather conditions. Right. I was going to say, all we need is one big storm somewhere in the country. And then that's the end of that for any sort of produce or grains at this point. That, that could be another conversation with somebody else when it comes to the weather. But and then what's what, what else are we talking about here? We have supply chain issues with that. But what about the paper goods and all the other non commodity items? Are you seeing those coming in? Are you switching? What are you guys doing? Again, being that you're all over the country and all steps of the food chain, food chain, food ladder? Supply chain. Uh, we stick with supply chain. We're always safe. Uh, right. Okay. But, um, well, everything is affected because it's not just the cost of production and it's just not uh, limited to the input of raw materials. Uh, all these items have to be offloaded from ships. And I think everybody in America knows what uh, our ports look like on, uh, on all three coasts. Right. Uh, then they have to be trucked or transported to a distributor. Um, every trucking company in America, I'm told, is looking for drivers and looking for trucks to lease. Uh, and then once they get to the D.C. center, there are labor shortages there um, and an increase in wages. So even if the raw product isn't necessarily significantly affected, the costs of getting it from the manufacturer to us have substantially increased. And so what that's done is require us to look for substitute products and an elimination uh, of a number of packaging items and um, food service utensils that we used to use that mm -hmm. we no longer look upon as disposable. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess, and there might be an environmentally good impact there too if we're using a little bit less of that paper goods. Maybe that could be the other side of it. Yeah, de uh, definitely. Um, mm -hmm. Most of our clients um, are in casual dining, so fortunately we don't have to worry uh, as much about our uh, packaging as our QSR friends, uh, 
but as you know, many of the successful casual dining chains have grown their uh, top line as a result of third party delivery, uh, takeout and carry out, which took the place of uh, closed dining rooms during the height of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So all of us are affected, whether we're QSR, fast casual or casual. Right. Just in different ways. And you touched a little bit and I don't want to go too far into it because, again, like it's all you hear about is the labor shortage. I think one of the interesting things we were talking about the other day is there is a labor shortage everywhere and how we're going to fix it is still someone else is going to have to keep working on that. But we were talking a little bit about airports and as they recover, since you guys do management deals there and you're pretty aware of what goes on in airports, I found it pretty interesting to see what's going on with the labor with the workers there. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so uh, airports are a, a venue of, uh, of of a completely different nature uh, because in addition to having re- having to go out and recruit employees to staff our facilities, many of which are upscale uh, airport lounges uh, that are associated with credit card companies or airlines, uh, our employees all need to go through fairly stringent security checks. Uh, and so from the day that we identify an employee, uh, to the time that that employee can be put to productive use on the floor uh, can take anywhere from two to five weeks to get them through the uh, airport screening process, get them badged, get them trained, send them through security trainings. It's a uh, long time. Uh, it's terrible. Um, and, and that's difficult enough. But, um, you know, back in the day and back in the day goes all the way back to 2019, we used to right. be able to, um, to grab from the employee pool that was already badged. So for instance, if uh, if we needed an employee to work in one of our airport lounges, we could hire an employee that was working at a gift shop uh, or at McDonald's or any of our uh, fast food uh, restaurants and then have them come and work in any of our restaurants. Mm-hmm. That's no longer possible because uh, for security reasons, many of the airports uh, have now said, that every employee needs to be badged and vetted every time they go to work for another uh, on-premise vendor. Which is very hard. I Again, I imagine if there's already a shortage of people and it's taking so long and these people are willing to work for the wages you're offering, in five weeks they could find a lot of other opportunities. Well, one that doesn't require them to go right. in, be fingerprinted two, three, four times, have their uh, facial recognition data uploaded and sit and wait to be able to work. Right. Um, most employees, if we're going to get them, are ready to join the employee the employee ranks now, not three weeks from now. Right. So air- airports themselves, which used to have to deal with the issue of minimal passenger volumes, now have the passenger volumes and just don't have the employees to staff the various retail outlets. That's the reason when you go through any of the mega hub airports, whether they be Charlotte or Dallas or Denver, you see a number of locations with rotating signs on the windows that say that they're temporarily closed. A a, a coffee retailer might be closed um, Thursday and Sunday and then they may shift staff over from one of their other um, managed locations to operate them the rest of the days and close another venue. So it's a a vicious cycle that uh, many of us have not yet been able to find the answer to. Right. And again, with the labor shortage everywhere, an employee ready to work could definitely find a job. They don't need to wait 
three to well, five weeks. Um, yeah, and that really brings up, um, you know, I think the root of the problem, which is that, you know, our industry, which was a, uh, a bellwether employer, um, you know, of a wide variety of service level employees, are now competing with industries that attracted um, a huge influx of employees when we had to furlough them uh, or shut down temporarily. And if I try to put myself in the shoes of a, of a waiter or a bartender uh, or, even, or even a restaurant manager trying to support a family, um, many employees have said, why should I take the risk that this should happen again? Um, I might as well go somewhere where I have steady employment, steady benefits, um, you know, a much higher wage. I don't have to depend on gratuities to be able to supplement my income. Um, and that certainly has exasperated the problem. I'm sure you've heard this. Yeah. And they could be home on nights and weekends with their families as well in a lot of cases. Correct. So, right. And again, we're seeing it in our industry in all levels, like you said, from server all the way up to manager. I don't know where they're going because it seems like even non-restaurants are having the same labor shortage. But we'll, again, well, okay. eventually everyone will figure it out. Maybe. It is it is an issue. I mean, one of the one of the great uh, unanswered questions of 2021 is, you know, where have all these employees gone? I don't know of a single industry um, that has ever said, "Wow, I've got far more applicants than I do have uh, vacancies." You know, right. here's where I go to get employees. I don't know anybody that's flush. No, I couldn't agree more. And again. I talk to mostly people in the restaurant space, but going out with friends of mine, no matter what industry we're in, we're having the same conversations about situations where you're hiring people who might not be the A worker and you're go you're having to go down a little bit just because sometimes you need a body and that's not good for anybody. So what else is going on? What else are you seeing as you travel the world and travel the United States of all different brands? Well, uh, you know, certainly there's been a contraction in number of units and a contraction in number of seats. Um, and, and that's certainly, you know, while unfortunate for a number of locations that have closed, um, you know, that's had positive implications in terms of demand for uh, the majority of, uh, of at least um, pre-existing and continuing uh, restaurants. I mean, certainly the the biggest single change um, that I've seen uh, noticeably over the last year has been the continuation of demand for delivery carryout and third party delivery, right. uh, as well as the proliferation of virtual brands, um, meaning somebody has uh, developed a brand, developed a story around the brand, uh, developed a set of recipes. Mm -hmm and are now making those brands available to existing brick and mortar restaurant operators to utilize excess capacity. Right, and we had Robert Earl on a few weeks ago, and I mean, that's his business model. So he told us a little bit about some of the things he's doing. Are you seeing, are any of the locations you're working with picking up virtual brands? Yes, in fact, um, you know, s several of them are working with uh, with Robert Earl on some of his. Okay. <laughs> brands, which just happened to be a coincidence. But, you know, I think everybody that is, um, you know, looking to expand the revenue base is certainly looking at virtual brands as a way to do it. Um, you know, certainly I would have said at the beginning of the year, we're going to have infinite capacity in all of our restaurants to be able right. to supply these kinds of brands. That was before we determined that we might not have the staff to cook the food. Right. That was not one of the considerations I don't think anyone was thinking about at first. 
And then with the virtual brands, so are they as, have you seen the success in them the way that the papers talk about it? You know, I have. Now, I, okay. I separate the concept of virtual brands from the business concept of ghost kitchens. Um, and yes, so agree. I'm really referring to the emergence of virtual brands and their ability to um, to be picked up by existing operators, uh, you know, as a new revenue source. Uh, they're strong. Um, they're powerful. They don't require, um, in most cases, uh, much of an investment in either branding or in trade dress. If they don't work, um, they can disappear from the market and are not necessarily attributable to the restaurant chains that are actually preparing the food. Um, so you could have ABC restaurant chain, uh, you know, producing a food from um, Mark and Dana's diner. And if Mark and Dana's diner doesn't work, um, then it can disappear from DoorDash and Grubhub. And tomorrow it can be replaced by Dana and Mark's Asian food concept. Right. And there's very little risk to that and, and no negative attribution to the chain that's actually producing them. Right. In most cases, you don't even know where it's coming from. That's exactly right. And uh, for those of us that are producing the food, in many instances, we don't want customers to know that we're producing for, for Mark and Dana because uh, we don't get any of the credit. Right. My nieces and nephews order from one of Robert's brands, and I think that they think the Tooth Fairy makes the food because they can't understand how there's no restaurant, but the food comes by delivery. Um, I think I mean, that's really the exciting stuff going on. I know back to travel, back to conferences, it's going to be an exciting RFDC coming up. Anything else that you're excited about talking and listening and hearing? And Well, I, I'm excited for the fact that, you know, people are going to go out and have, um, you know, business lunches uh, at some point and business dinners uh, in the future. Um, right. Fortunately, you know, we haven't uh, been in this situation where we are operating chains that cater to high-end business travel. If I were a $100 average check steakhouse dependent on selling uh, $200 bottles of wine uh, at a table and the expense account business, um, I don't know what I'd be doing. That's the kind of business that has been the slowest, it seems, to come back. Um, so I'm excited to see that um, offices, to the extent they can, uh, are coming back into full operation, or at least uh, as full as they can be uh, staffed, and people are going out uh, to lunch uh, and dinner again. Certainly, the CBD restaurants that depend on office traffic you know, have, have suffered uh, over the last six months. Um, you know, I do see that fundamentally, um, there is likely to be a shift um, you know, still further into the work at home market uh, and offices are going to be much more lightly staffed than they were, um, you know, in the past. That's unfortunate for the restaurants. Um, not so terrible for the landlords, most of whom were the great villains of the. Right. <laughs> but, uh, we did have a few good ones. We have to say that, too. <laughs> Well, you have to find them, <laughs> right. That's fair. but, but, you know, the problem here is that, uh, you've got restaurant, uh, chains that are depending on, um, meeting convention, um, trade show traffic, um, that used to count on those kinds of uh, dinners to come through. Uh, and they've been very, very slow to recover. Um, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, the restaurant finance and development conference that we all fondly refer to as RFDC. Um, right. 
I missed it. It's you know one of the preeminent conferences that all of us uh, are used to attending. Um, you know, it's coming back. I think. Uh, second week in November. Um, I can't wait to see people um, in person rather than virtually. Um, You know, it's tough to enjoy a meal virtually at any of these restaurants, but we're finally going to be able to do so. So I'm excited that the the business travel market uh, is coming back, that the trade shows are coming back. I wish they would come back faster um, than, than they have, but you know, we'll have to deal with it as best we can. You know, the the only silver lining is if it came back all at once, I'm not so sure where the staff would come from to service it. Right. So uh, so that's a good thing. Um, you know, I I actually am looking forward to a, a normalization of the of the entire supply chain situation. Um, I have been around for a long time, but I've not been through a business cycle like this. It'll be very interesting to see what at what level, um, how deeply and at what speed prices um, become normalized. You know, as you generally know, um, prices almost never um, drop. Um, you know, it has in coffee uh, and other commodities, but, you know, we have our fingers crossed, right? Because yes. even <laughs> very much. Every restaurant chain in America is scratching their heads, I think, same as I am, and wondering how we're going to cover these huge gaps in cost of goods sold margins. And we can't all raise prices from a competitive standpoint. While you know, we may be right in line with what all of our competitors are doing, if we all raise prices, you know, over the course of the next year by the same, you know, general level. At some point, there isn't enough money to be able to justify going out to eat. For sure. I mean, I we see that all the time. Even my friends and I, we've been going to the same restaurants forever. And even you get the bill now. It's like, wait, how did that happen? Like, where? Because we've been ordering the same food at the same place for so long. But right, you could keep going until there's a point you just well, can't I, anymore, I in- or go as often. I heard an interesting commentary uh, the other day, although eventually um, I was distressed to learn that it came from a comic. Uh, but <laughs> you know, he was basically saying that, you know, the good news is that even though prices have gone up 20 or 25 percent in some cases in New York City, um, it's been so long since people were able to go out and eat that most of them have forgotten what a, a, a high end meal should cost. Right. And, I, until they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, that's it's true. But Mark, I love speaking to you. It's like the favorite part of my week. So thank you so much. You need more excitement in your week. Uh, that is definitely true also. But I will see you in a few weeks. I will definitely be sharing at least a meal, if not a few cocktails with you. So thank you. And I think that's it for today. Thank you for listening to BDO to go. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO to go. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, share, or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com slash restaurants.